This morning's reading is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's word for God's people. Well, good morning, church. My name is Daniel. For those of you who don't know me, I get the joy of serving here on staff as one of the college directors. Um, and as we jump in today, before you guys start taking notes, I want you guys to like, put your notes away, and I want you guys to actually imagine something with me. As we start, I want you to imagine the neighbor who lives down the hall or down the street, who maybe you wave to when you're on your way to class or when you're on your way to work, or if you're outside doing yard work, maybe you'll exchange a few greetings. And you think, as you see them, man, everything's good. They look happy. They look fine. But if you could be a fly on their wall, actually what you would see in their home is that they're depressed. You would see that they're running to the bottle or that they're abused or that they're abusive, that they really have a lot of sin that they're hiding. And on, at first glance, everything seems fine. But in the darkness and the privacy of their own home, it's not. You see them putting their hope in the huskers, which we know is fleeting, and we, we see that they... Or they're putting their hope and status in the money that they make, working for the next promotion, for the next dollar. They're without hope, and they're on their way to destruction. Or consider with me this. A nation where most people would call themselves Christian, where people have heard stories of this man named Jesus and have gone to church, a church gathering in their life. Maybe they go on Christmas or Easter. They, they think, they live life thinking that they're going to go to heaven because they are a good person. And they say this because, well, I'm surely not as bad as Hitler, right? They have a false assurance and on judgment day will hear the words, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Or lastly, think about this with me. If every person who knew the story of Jesus, every person shared the gospel with every non-Christian they knew, still... And by a miraculous, um, by God's grace, every single one of them got saved. Still, three billion people would not have heard of Jesus. Three billion. Many of them in the 1040 window, which is the least reached region in the world. Three billion people who right now are living will die never hearing of Jesus. If you guys have been tracking along with us, I know it's a heavy start, but just to kind of capture um, the heart of today, um, if you guys have been tracking along with us, we at Providence here have been walking through um, our series on our core values. Um, and this morning, we're finishing off our series as we look at the core value of mission. All right, so so far, if you've been tracking along, we've walked through the values of gospel, formation, and community. The gospel being the good news of Jesus, and then the rest of them, the other three um, are core values, are responses to the gospel. The temptation for us is going to be that as we hear the other three is we're going to choose one or maybe two that we focus on primarily and leave the other one behind. 
But much like if you had a rope and you removed one of the strands, if it's three strands braided together, if you removed one of them, it's going to be a weak rope. And so it is with our faith. If we remove one of the core values and we don't actually live it out, our faith too will be weak. So we cannot separate the core values. We need all three of these in response and and how we live in response to the gospel. And as we dig in today, many of you guys probably have a different idea, a different definition that comes to mind when you hear the word mission, right? I mean, some of you guys might be thinking, oh, that means I should go volunteer at the soup kitchen, or I need to go overseas and build a house for two weeks, or whatever whatever it may mean. We're going to start by understanding what our mission is from the Bible, all right? So I'm going to define it right now so we're all on the same page. The common identifying mission that we all have been given is this. Make disciples, okay? Make disciples. Our mission individually is to make disciples. And our mission as a church is to make disciples, And the passage we read today maybe is familiar for some of you. And if it is, I would encourage you to actually, with fresh ears, let the Spirit of God speak to you. And maybe if this this passage isn't new to you, come in with an open heart and see what God might have for you in your walk with Him. Wherever you are, let us pray with anticipation of God moving and doing something today. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you uh, have given us your word. Lord, I thank you that if we have placed our faith in you, we know you and that you are with us. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and called us into something greater than ourselves, that you've invited us into this mission. And I pray that today as we dig into your word, that your spirit will be stirring in the hearts of those who are in this room. Lord, that all of us, we would take something away from this, a word of encouragement to keep going, a conviction to get in the game. Or Lord, for some, maybe the first step of placing their faith in you. Would you move in a mighty way this morning? In your name, amen. All right, so as we read, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there. Um, But what I want to tell you is that we're actually going to walk through this passage out of order. All right, and the the reason we're going to do that is I want us to see the heart of what we're called to. And then I want to dig into the other applications, all right? So we're going to actually start in verse 19, but before we do that, I'm going to tell us our three ideas that we're, what we're going to see today. So first, it should be on the screen. First, we see that Jesus commands us to make disciples. Second, we see Jesus gives us authority to make disciples. And third, Jesus is with us as we make disciples. All right, jumping in, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. All right. So as we normally hear this passage, normally when we look at it, we we think that the the main verb, the most important verb there is to go. Well, it's actually not the case. The main, the, the imperative verb is what they call it. The, the most important verb here is actually make disciples. All right, so in this verse, the main verb is make disciples. And the other three verbs we see actually serve to tell us how we do that. All right, so we make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. 
All right, so make disciples is the imperative verb, and then it tells us that we do that by going, baptizing, and teaching. And here at Providence, if you've been around, you'll know that our mission statement as a church is to make and send disciples. We exist to make and send disciples of Jesus. And this passage here is the reason why. If you've ever wondered where did Rutten get that, did he, Rutten and Jerry get that, did they just pull that out and find some nice sounding words? No, they actually got it from scripture. They got it from here. We see that there's a call for us to make disciples as a church. So that is why uh, the church was planted. That's why this church was planted four or five years ago, is to see this happen. All right. And you're going to hear me today, throughout this message, say the phrase, make disciples a lot. And it might sound redundant, but it's actually intentional. Because I don't want us to leave the room today and not actually know what our call is. I'm not going to find another way to try to say it. I'm just going to unapologetically, continually, repetitively, again and again, say the phrase, make disciples. So hear that, and that's intentional. All right? So because we must individually commit today, individually commit to buying into this mission. And we collectively, as a church, must commit to buying into this mission. So I'm unapologetically going to call us to it today. All right. So going, baptizing, and teaching. First, we see he says, go therefore. All right, this is where it starts. He says, we must be a people who are going. Going to who? Well, for one, going to the people around us. Making disciples starts actually with evangelism, right? If we're called to make a disciple, we have to start with non-Christians becoming Christians. We must go down the hall or down the street to, or down the, the office, right, to the people that God has put around us, and we must preach the gospel to them. We must, by going, enter into those around us lives. Church, often this is a very difficult step, right? So often this is hard for us and we can get intimidated because we are filled with doubt or fear. However, the reality is, is we cannot make disciples of Christ and disciples who are non-Christians unless they first hear the gospel. So what, what, are, we, what are we doing, right? We're not going and telling them like good life tips, right? We shouldn't go encourage them, hey, have a good day or hey, you're living your best life now, right? Like we're called to preach this hard news to them. And if you're not in here and you don't understand what, or if you're, you're in here, you're all in here, obviously. If you're in here and you don't know what I mean when I say the word gospel, or if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I hear this term and I am a Christian, but I don't know what I, I should say to someone. This is what you, we tell them. This is the, the centerpiece of our Christian faith. First, we start with the bad news of the gospel. We start with the bad news that we have all sinned. And that sin has separated us from a holy, righteous, perfect God. And because of our sin, we rightly, we rightly deserve to go to hell. And if the story stopped there, God would be right in doing so because we have all sinned against him. If the story ended there, that would be where our destination was and he would be right in doing that. But the story doesn't stop there. The story continues and God, knowing that we couldn't reach him, actually sent his son Jesus to come and to live the life that we were called to live, to die the death that we each rightly deserve to die, and he was buried. And in a moment of hopelessness, in a moment of seemingly de seeming defeat, 
For three days, darkness just plagued the world. On the third day, the reason we have hope, the reason we rejoice, the reason that we sing as Christians is because Jesus came back to life. He rose again. And he walked out of the tomb and then he ascended into heaven. And for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, he has given us eternal life and he's given us his Holy Spirit. The gospel is good news because there is bad news. To say that someone died for you but not understanding what they've actually done to need to, for someone to need to die means nothing to us. If you are in here and you have never surrendered your life to Christ and never placed your faith in him, this is actually your first step. Your next step in, in the Great Commission is actually you yourself becoming a disciple of Christ. It's by placing your faith, surrendering your life to him and trusting him by faith. Christian, you cannot and you will not make disciples or follow Jesus' command for your life if you are not first willing to go. The people, you must go to the people that God has called you to, the people who are in your spheres of influence. Eternal souls are on the line. For a moment, I want you guys to ask yourself, when is the last time you shared this message? When is the last time you shared the, preached the gospel to someone? Or if you're someone who has never preached the gospel with anyone, let me ask you, what is actually holding you back? The grace of the gospel that came to you is not meant to stop with you. It's meant to go forth through you. And I want to challenge you right now to think of one non-Christian that this week, I'm not saying a month, I'm not saying a year, I'm saying this week you could go preach the gospel to. We're fickle humans and we forget things. That's what I'm saying. This week, who is someone that you could preach the gospel to? And if you don't know what you're doing or what you're saying, that's okay. And we're going to see that, but... Jesus has given you, if you place your faith in him, his Holy Spirit, which will give you the word to say and will help you. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that people around us are going to die and will, apart from Jesus, go to hell. As Piper says, mission exists because worship doesn't. We go. We evangelize. We make disciples so that the worship of God would fill the earth and sinners can receive the forgiveness of sins. And in here, if we continue, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, right? So some of us in here might actually be called to go to another place. We might actually be called to, to leave Omaha and to actually move to another country to preach the gospel to a people who have not heard of Jesus. And for others of us, we are called to support them. We're called to pray for them. We're called to send finances with them. And we're called to back them as a church as we participate in this great commission. Church, we first go. Then, when someone repents and places their faith in Christ, we baptize. Let's keep looking. Let's look back at the text. It says, go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This here is the next step in how we are to make disciples. And here at Providence, this is one of two ordinances that we observe because we see that Jesus has commanded it. 
baptism is not a salvific event, but we baptize and get baptized to represent what has happened to us. We are dunked under the water to symbolize that we have died with Christ and that when we come out of the water, representing that we have been resurrected to new life in Christ. And many people in our culture place too high of an emphasis on baptism, saying that baptism saves you. This is what I was taught from the moment I was born. But there's also people who don't place high enough of an emphasis on baptism. I think, well, it doesn't matter. Well, Jesus here says it does. He commands us to be baptized. And if you're in here and you have placed your faith in Jesus and you've never actually been baptized, your, the next step in your own discipleship journey would be to obey Jesus and get baptized. And the reason we baptize and we do that in the context of the local church is we, we do that here at Providence so that the, the church can surround them and celebrate with them and also walk with them as they follow Jesus. That's why we do it publicly. Lastly, we see Jesus tell us we make disciples by teaching. I'm going to read it one more time. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus here calls people, calls us to teach people theology and doctrine. And how to have a heart level love for Jesus. We call people to faithful obedience to him. We don't call people to be religious robots. But rather men and women who love Jesus and follow him gladly. And in doing so we also teach these people to go and multiply themselves. As they have grown in the faith we call them. We teach them how to multiply themselves and to do that for others. Providence. Many of you are actually doing this, and this has been encouraging. You are meeting with people and helping them to love Jesus more. And many of you are growing in your understanding of theology and doctrine. However, I want to challenge all of us here. I think too often we settle for an inch-deep dive into Scripture, right? And maybe we're reading and there's something we don't understand, and instead of diving in, we just, say, we just keep reading past it to check off the fact that we've read for the day. Instead of digging in, we actually only take in the surface. In the call to make disciples, we must first be digging in deeper with Jesus and understanding more deeply who he is so that we can teach others to do the same. What does this look like? What are the implications of this? Well, it's largely known that the church in the United States is actually biblically illiterate. In comparison with a lot of history in, Christian, in the Christian church, and with, in comparison with a lot of the world, American, Christian, American Christians are biblically illiterate. We don't actually understand the God that we worship as we ought to. And in, in the church, we, we, have, we are fighting this, right? We see people who are taking classes to understand the New Testament canon, right? We see people who are listening to the podcast and really diving into what the doctrines of grace are so they can understand salvation better. We see people who in city groups are digging into theology so that they can rightly tell others about it. So people are doing it. And we are, as a church, growing in that. But if you haven't been, I just want to unapologetically call you to not settle for less. It's like a McDonald's hamburger, 
versus an Omaha steak. If you're only digging an inch deep, you're getting that McDonald's hamburger, but if you're digging in deep, you're getting that Omaha steak. Don't settle for the McDonald's dollar menu, okay? Dig deeper. We make disciples by first going and evangelizing the lost, and then when they come to Christ, we baptize them and teach them how to follow Jesus and how then to multiply their own faith. Church, we are always seeking to make disciples who make disciples. And you are not living out God's call on your life if you are not actively engaged in the discipleship process. And maybe you have doubts, fears, or insecurities. And that's why you haven't stepped into God's command for your life. Well, let's address that. The next idea is this. Jesus gives us authority to make disciples. Jesus gives us authority to make disciples. I'm going to go back and read from the beginning. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Oh, I read that part. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right. Let me paint the picture of what's happening and what has just happened. All right. So the disciples, right, in the previous chapter, saw Jesus die and get buried, right? And then Jesus came back and and Jesus told them to go to this mountain in Galilee and Jesus appears before them. And often in the Great Commission, we skip these verses. But I do think they actually have something profound to tell us. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Jesus appeared, they saw him and they worshiped him. What do the next words say? But some doubted. Then, knowing this, Jesus immediately addresses that by saying what? All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus addresses their doubt, right? In fact, he does so in the best way possible. Instead of pointing to anything else, he points to himself. He says, look, look at me. I have authority over death, over sin, over Satan, over this world, over everything. I have all authority. And I just proved it by walking out of the grave. How does he address their doubt? By pointing them to the resurrection that just happened, that they themselves had just witnessed. The resurrection proved his authority. He addresses their doubts. And maybe in here right now, you have doubt. Maybe you're doubting his love for you. Maybe you're doubting that he can use you. Maybe you're doubting that your efforts are even worthwhile. Maybe you're doubting that he can forgive you for that sin that you've committed. Or maybe you were doubting the fact that Jesus is actually who he says he is. If that's you, let this be of encouragement to you. Jesus doesn't stand there before the disciples who just saw him come back to life, who were doubting him and shake his finger at them. No. And he doesn't do the same for us. He doesn't sit there and shake his finger or condemn you. He invites them and he invites us to look 
to him and to remember what he did when he walked out of the grave after paying for your sins. He conquered sin, Satan, and death. Your doubts are not too big for him. Take them to him and be reminded of his power, his love, and the fact that he proved that he himself is God Almighty. Church, because Jesus has all, because Jesus has all authority, it means that when you go into the world living out this mission, you get to stand on the fact that the sovereign Lord of the universe told you to do so. Throughout history, we see the world try to tell Christians to be quiet about their faith. This isn't a new thing, right? For example, we see the religious leaders in Acts try to make the apostles stop preaching the gospel by beating them. But even that couldn't stop them. It couldn't stop them because they knew whose authority they had been given. The same authority has been given to us. But think, if you have doubt, fear, or insecurity, you're in good company because those disciples had doubt. In the same way, Jesus addresses their doubt. Right now, let Jesus, in this very moment, address your doubt. And instead of looking to yourself, take your eyes off yourself and look to him. We ought to walk around with confidence, with a swagger that comes from knowing that Jesus has all authority. And we are called to carry out his commands on his authority. In wartime, we see this idea of soldiers blindly almost trusting their commanding officers. Their commanding officers give them a command and they simply move forward in battle knowing that they have been given authority to do, to carry out what they've been called to do by someone higher than themselves, right? Their commanding officers told them to do it. So on that authority, they're going forward and doing what they were told to do. How much more did Jesus actually deserve our trust as he has proven that he has full authority? He's won the battle, right? If we're talking about a war, he's already won it. His authority comes from eternity. Trust him. Jesus gives us authority to make disciples, but that's not all. Lastly, we see that Jesus is with us as we make disciples. Jesus is with us as we make disciples. Let's read Jesus' words in full. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus began his statement targeting their doubts by pointing to himself, declaring that he has all authority. He then gives them a command, and then at the end, he gives them a great promise. He promises that he will be with us always to the end of the age. Jesus just got done commanding the disciples to carry out their mission, and what does he do next? He doesn't say, okay, now go get to work. He says, and behold, I am with you always. Jesus ends the commission. Like we must not see this with an amazing promise. 
the disciples, when Jesus had died, had ran scared, right? Because Jesus was no longer with them. And here, Jesus is encouraging them that they need not be scared because he will never leave them. Man, if you, if you think of like a little kid who's trying to help their dad with a project, we know that the little kid, like he has not able to do much, right? But if, if he's sitting there and he has the tool and he's helping hammer a nail into the wall and the dad's hand is also on the hammer and pushing it in, by whose power is the nail driving into the wall? The dad's. And in the same way as we, call, we are called to live out his command, whose power is it that we're actually relying on to live it out? His. He gives us a command and then he says, look, I'm giving you this command, but then I'm going to give you the power to actually do it. What? Like, he's telling us to do this thing, but doesn't say, oh, now you're left to your own to go do it. No, he says, I'm going to be with you always. As you do this, as you go into the world, as you tell your neighbors, as you tell the people around you about Jesus, I am with you. He is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we don't realize this or we don't talk about this, but if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has indwelled you. And that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, therefore lives inside of you. The power that rose Jesus, who was dead in the grave, back to life, lives in you. You were dead, right, in your sins, that the Bible says, and you were raised to life by the power of the Spirit of God that now lives in you by faith. For all of history, for all of history, God's people have found great comfort in the fact that God would be with them. If we go back to the Old Testament, we see Moses, who had a stuttering issue, have the confidence to go to Pharaoh and tell, him, tell Pharaoh to let the people go because he knew that God would be with him. We see Joshua have confidence to lead the Israelites after Moses just died into the promised land because God was with him. We see David have the ability and confidence to conquer a giant because God was with him. We could go on and on and on. And we'd even see stories when God has left the people, left the Israelites, and we'd see how, how great of a despair they were in. Well, he just promised here that he is with us always. So we don't have to live in the despair. We get to live in the confidence that comes with knowing that God is with us. Him ending the Great Commission saying this should remind us of all those other times that he has said he would be with them and not once did he fail. And in your own life, if you think about the fact that God said he would be with you, how many times has he failed? None. Jesus is with you. We just have to step out in faith, right? We, we step out in faith knowing that he is with us as we make disciples. What a great promise that is to us, church. Now, this is great, but practically, what does this look like for us today? First, let me speak to the city group leaders in the room. This year, God's actually done a great work to change my view of what leading a city group means. He showed me that even though most of these people in my city group were Christians, that they actually were my mission field. You see, that was, I was called by him to make disciples in my city group. I used to walk around with this vision or this um, understanding that living on mission was just evangelizing. And so I, I completely disconnected leading a city group from mission because I thought mission is evangelism. 
But actually, what God has called you to should not be taken lightly. If you are a city group leader in this room, what God has called you to is to make disciples of the people in that group, people in that room. You're not just leading a discussion and asking questions. You are actually charged with the task of helping the people in your city group grow deeper with Christ. That is a part of your mission field. Let that give you a deep burden and a deep prayer life for those people. And would you depend on him more greatly because of that? Next, let's speak to everyone here, right? When you come on Sundays, do you guys just come in seeking, okay, just seeking to consume a message, sing some songs, and then go to your Sunday brunch? Or, and you think that, man, the job to make disciples today is just left for the people who are up on this stage. Is that what you come and think? Thinking that Jared and Andrew are tasked on Sundays with the call of making disciples, and the rest of us just get to sit idly and watch them do it. Well, this shouldn't be the case because church, as we gather, we ought to be intentionally praying through and thinking through, man, how can I encourage someone around me? How can I follow up with the person I talked to last week about what they were going through? How can I pray for someone around me today? We're collectively helping each other grow in our discipleship process. And that this corporate gathering is actually a crucial part of that. Not just the formal time, but actually the time before and the time after. And that's why Rutten last week charged us to actually maybe come a little bit early, right? So we could actually engage with people, actually talk to people. So that people would grow in their discipleship process along the way. Next, there's some people in here who are called to make disciples in other nations. And there's some people in here who are actively pursuing that end. And maybe you're... you're pursuing that trajectory, but you've actually failed to remember what it looks like to make disciples here right now. God is calling you to go, but in a season of preparation, he is still calling you to make disciples. Or maybe you're in here and you know that God maybe is calling you to go, but you've been ignoring it. I'd encourage you, don't ignore that. Here at Providence, we do have a global missions team that would love to walk with you in that process and actually explore with you the call to go. Don't do that in isolation. But some of you, your next step is actually maybe to have a conversation or is to stop ignoring that or is to actually get in the game right here, right now. If you are a senior saint in here, let me tell you that, let me tell you not to believe the lie that young people don't want to listen to you. Let me tell you that our church has great things to learn from you and your experience. Please, I beg you, Don't coast into retirement and to death, but run hard and make disciples, even if people are 30, 40, or 50 years younger than you. We need you as a church to collectively, to help us grow in our maturity. And lastly, if you're one of the people in here who has never actually stepped into the call and the command to make disciples, would you today step out in faith? Would you find someone to walk with you and would you find someone to walk with? If you need resources, come talk to us. If you struggle knowing how to preach the gospel, step out and the Holy Spirit will be with you and we as a church will come around you. This church is with you, but more importantly, Jesus is with you. Making disciples is not a short process. 
It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen by just meeting for one hour a couple times a month. Making disciples requires us to live a lifestyle of this. Inviting people into our homes, having meals together, doing life together, doing something as simple as running errands together. Jesus modeled this for us with his disciples when he was alive. He lived life with them. There will be times that the discipleship process gets messy and you might want to give up. But there will be other times when it will be absolutely incredible because you will get to see, you will get a front row seat to seeing God do some crazy, amazing things in someone's life. It's not easy. However, it is the most worthwhile thing you could possibly be doing. Don't miss out. And I want to end with this. Imagine with me again the neighbor down the street. And what would it look like if you actually engaged with them? If you got to know them and you preached the gospel to them? What if God used you to reach them with the gospel of Christ? They became a Christian and then you began, you got to begin to walk with them in discipleship. And what if it wasn't just you doing this, but everyone in the church was actively engaging in this? How different would this church look and how different would our streets look? Or imagine if the bigger church in America woke up and re-engaged in their call to make disciples. Teaching people theology, peeping people, teaching people church history. What would it look like if the call to make disciples was the most important thing across the United States and not who you voted for or what the latest trend on TikTok is or how your fantasy team is doing? Our country would look a lot different and people who are deceived and thinking they're going to go to heaven because they're a good person would no longer be deceived. And they would learn that they must repent and trust Christ alone for their salvation. Or imagine with me, those three billion people who have zero access to the gospel. What if you went? What if you went to those people and one by one began to multiply your faith? You evangelize, disciple, and plant a church that, or churches that ultimately continue to multiply long after you are dead and gone. Entire people groups would have access to the gospel because of your faithfulness to go into the world. We would accomplish the great commission and then the great day of Jesus' return would come. Church, we must, we must not lose sight of our mission. Make disciples. If you have lost sight of this, I want to encourage you, encourage you to jump in because you're missing out. And if you are actively engaged, don't lose heart. Jesus is with you and will accomplish his mission. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you call us into something greater than ourselves. Thank you that you have called us into uh, this process of making disciples. Thank you that you um, address our doubts and our fears by reminding us that all authority has been given to you. Thank you that you give us the power to actually, call, to actually carry out your command by being with us. Lord, if there's people in here who need to repent of their um, lack of participation in this, would they even today do that? 
Lord, would you move and would you be glorified in such a way that we would see people come to know you, that we would have to have baptism every other week because people are coming to you and coming to know you. Lord, would you do a mighty work in our local church, in the church in America and in the church in the world. Lord, would you be glorified. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.